You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Hi everyone, it's Simon here. Just to let you all know that today we're talking about pedophilia. Uh, If that is something that may be distressing for you, uh, please bear that in mind before you listen. Now let's get to the episode. Oh, that... something, Something weird happened. Do that again. The 26th of April 2017, I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about... Well, we will get to that in a minute, but first um, we just want to talk quickly about uh, about emails. We have our, our email address, which is queerspodcast at gmail.com, and we've been getting really amazing emails from people engaging very deeply with the, the stuff that we're talking about, and it's fantastic, and we, we really want to encourage uh, encourage more of that. So if you have any thoughts, feedback, please, uh, please do get in touch. Yeah, it's really exciting to see the emails pop into the inbox. Uh, it's, it's like a nice little warm, fuzzy feeling to realise that people are actually listening to us. And um, it's nice to hear your feedback and, and maybe even some ideas about future content would be really great. Totally, because um, we have no idea. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's last minute. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Um, and, like, and people are dedicating like a lot of time to these emails as well. Like some of them are, some of them are very... Um, substantial which is so yeah, which is really kind nice. of um yeah flattering and the other thing while we're on this sort of general topic uh let's talk about itunes uh and please if you listen to us even if you're one of those people amazing people who emails us and uh you haven't gone to itunes to leave a review we'd really really love it if you did so uh this is about making sure that other people can hear us this is the major place where um, people get access to their podcasts and uh, reviews and ratings do a lot of uh, really good things to get us sort of up the rankings so that other people can find our podcast, um, can hear what we're talking about, can provide more feedback, and that will build not just our audience, which would be really nice, but also help build a, you know, a bit of a stronger community for us so we can we can continue this thing forward. Mm, yeah, because we, uh, you know, we, we really want as many people to be hearing this as, as possible. Yeah, exactly. So to get started with the uh, with the topic, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky one and it's something that Simon and I have been talking about doing an episode on for a while now pedophilia which is kind of broadly the topic of of this week's episode is a subject that obviously for very good reasons is extremely fraught it's a very sensitive issue for a lot of people for very good reasons uh and we're going to tread as carefully as we can but it but it is a discussion that that uh, we think is is important to be able to talk about, uh, and we're gonna and we're gonna do that. You know, to build on what we're just talking about, as with anything we talk about, we're open to lots of feedback, and in particular this one, we're open to dialogue. And we wouldn't want to broach a subject like this without allowing space space for pon- responses from people listening. So the relationship between queers and pedophilia has come up again in the media over the past few weeks. Uh, specifically after the news broke that tabloid journalist Ben McCormack, best known for his work on A Current Affair, was arrested and charged with offences relating to child pornography. What's followed that has been a complete media feeding frenzy. While the seriousness of these charges cannot be overstated, it didn't take long for a distinctly homophobic tone to emerge. 
particularly as the focus turned to things like McCormack's grinder profile and dating history. Queers of all genders have been associated with pedophilia for a long time, but I think many of us have hoped that the days of queers being tarred with that brush were behind us. Um, so, you know, what does this story, as well as other queer topics in recent news, tell us about the role pedophilia plays in public discourse around queer people? Are we as past this as we would like to believe? So to get started, Simon, you know, to ask the kind of obvious question, I guess, to start with, do you think the coverage of Ben McCormack's arrest and uh, charges has been homophobic? To answer bluntly, yes, absolutely. I think it has in many, many ways. Um, I think the, uh, maybe not my favourite, but the the best example of this for me is an article I found uh, in the Daily Mail. There's an Australian version of the Daily Mail, which I sort of remember every now and again exists, and I sort of go, ugh. And then you uh, wish anyway. you didn't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, this one is titled Exclusive Ben McCormack's Sick Gay Incest Film About a Father Pleasuring His Own Son That Shocked Hearted ACA Colleagues As It's Revealed He Wanted to Settle Down and Have Children. And what this is is a, um, a video, uh, is, a, is an article about a video that McCormack directed um, related to a, uh, it's a, it's a filming of like a, a bath scene, a sauna scene in which a young man walks into the sauna um, gives or no sorry receives oral sex i think through a through a glory hole and then and then it's revealed that this the person who did that was his father now let's be clear nothing in this video from as far as i can tell um is illegal nothing um was it legal it was uh, all of the actors as at least according to this article and from stuff i've read were over were sort of of legal age etc etc there's nothing illegal here but this what you got was this like really over-the-top, really sort of scandalous article about this sort of gay incest and awful awful stuff, you know, this awful, you know, really sort of drenched in this homophobic tone. I was having a look at it just before, and I think some of my favourite is they've got screenshots from the, uh, from the, the, from the movie, and some of my favourites are just great things like one of them says, McCormack's movie called Family Outing shows a young man nervously walking through a sex club wearing only a towel as other men leer at him. Ooh, shock horror. Uh, and then there's another one that says men are seen touching each other inside the Brisbane bathhouse during a short film. Um, and the fi- my favourite favourite one is um, the black and white film was shot in an inner city gay bathhouse in Brisbane, pictured a wall of a cubicle which has a hole in it. Um, and this, you know, what what you know, sort of taking a bit of mick out of this here, but there's a lot of stuff in here that sort of drags, you know, tries to connect. Um, the allegations made against him and the charges made against him with his sexuality and with a whole bunch of other stuff that he's done with his sexuality over his lifetime. And it's sort of dragging all of that stuff in and connecting it to these alleged crimes. Um, And that, to me, is extraordinarily homophobic. This is really sensationalist stuff about what is a legal practice, a legal film that was shown legally, that was filmed legally, as 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 far as I'm aware. Uh, or at least as far as this article is aware, uh, and sort of drags that and tries to connect it strongly with these allegations of um, child pornography, etc. And that, to me, is really disturbing. Mm. I mean, and I think it's it's not just kind of connecting the recent charges with uh, his history and his his kind of, you know, the, the fact that he made this film, it's kind of connecting it more broadly to, I guess, symbols of, recognisable symbols of gay culture, 
um, exactly. which are things like the bathhouse. I think a, a, another really, you know, unsurprisingly, also from the, the Daily Mail, another article that's in a similar vein. And I think in, in some ways even um, more, uh, it, it's certainly more, more subtly insidious, uh, came out mm-hmm. of, a few days after he was arrested. And I'll just read the headline again because it's, you know, in, in classic Daily Mail fashion, does really kind of get across the tone that we're talking about. Exclusive, again, exclusive. Uh, you know, quote, looking for young, slim, smooth dudes, end quote, a current affair reporter, Ben McCormack's profile for gay dating app Grinder emerges days after he was charged with sharing child porn. Uh, so that's the headline. And it, it um, you know, similarly kind of sensationalizes uh, his his uh i mean i don't you know i'd be curious to find out what the process was of them finding his grinder profile but mm. um you know basically just kind of like details what he's got on his grinder profile and you know it implies that there is some connection between what is on that profile and what he's been charged with in i think you know the reason i say i think that's a bit more insidious is because it, it's so fucking common like you know, this this is if you've ever been on on Grinder or yeah, any other kind of game, totally. It's just like you know, it's it's every other profile. <coughs> and I think that what both of these stories really point to for me is, I guess, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess a, a kind of this this uh, collision of like a, a a mainstream sort of audience, you know, this very much feels like it's written for a, a straight audience with mm. what I think can be recognised within gay communities and, and particularly gay sexual subcultures as extremely common things. As as we just said that on on Grindr profiles, this kind of looking for younger guys is extremely common. But I would say, and, and um, th- this may people might find this quite shocking but i but i would say that incest as a kind of theme in gay porn is also incredibly incredibly common and yeah again that that's something that that might really surprise people who haven't really engaged much with it but like it's so i mean i don't i don't want to say normalized but it it's certainly very very common those fantasies yeah and i think there's 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 two different parts of that there's the sort of there's the incest porn which i think is relatively common and then there's also this sort of subculture around someone being a daddy uh which is not technically incest but rather a younger person having sexual relations with a younger person i mean over the age of 18 or over the age of 16 a legally aged person in, in porn that i've that you know that i'm aware of you know in most cases in this sort of subculture um, who is having a relationship with an older person and that sort of being a daddy-son relationship, even though they're not technically related, and that is quite and this common is a, as well. To, oh, extremely common. And and not even just in in porn. I mean, this is like... Um, uh, oh, and grown profiles as well. Just And just in, in gay subcultures. I mean, the whole... You know, the, a, a friend of mine is writing a book at the moment about the kind of age of the daddy in, in gay communities. Oh, really? Um, yeah, no, totally. Uh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, no, it, it does. I think it'll be. I think it'll be great. Um, but you know, this this idea of the the daddy as a kind of like sexual fantasy and sexual object is like it, it cannot be overstated how common this is. It is just so you know normal to to see this in all sorts of gay um, se- sexual subcultures, both in ways that are explicitly sexual, like in porn, but also just in like I don't know, in like humor in um, 
like just in conversation, you know, so-and-so is a daddy, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's a type like bear or like twink or something, you know, daddy is just a, a, like another kind of sexual type. So I think that, you know, I, I was so sort of struck reading a lot of the, what I would also read as homophobia in this news coverage is this real, um, not understanding the kind of context of the way that, these sorts of ideas exist in gay subcultures. Absolutely, yeah. And what's interesting to me, just thinking about talking about daddies, I was just thinking about similar things that exist in heterosexual culture. And the best example, it's not quite the same, but it's similar, I think, is the idea of a MILF or a mum I'd like to fuck, which is very common in, you know, heterosexual male culture, but has none of the same... um, None of the same sort of connections to this idea of uh, of pedophilia that you would talk that that would occur in mainstream press. It's actually the, the the idea of a milf is actually quite a is quite you know you see it in popular culture all the time as being this thing, and it's actually you know the the sort of the picture you know the 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 common story in a in a you know you know a, a teen drama or a comedy or something of the the school boy having a crush on his teacher kind of thing. Uh, is quite common, um, yet it's interesting. It just it was interesting to me about that connection between that and something like this, in which the idea of a daddy is seen as scandalous and completely sort of way out there. Uh, whereas in, in when it comes to heterosexual culture, at least in that exact example, I think it probably would be different. It was flipped around, and it was sort of a young woman and an older male, um, and that's something that we might want to talk about or might not. Um, you know, in that instance, it's quite common and actually largely accepted. Mm. I mean, I certainly think that, that there's a sort of obvious point to make here about gendered power relations, you know, which is that yeah. um, I would argue that there is something seen as uh, inherently less predatory about um, uh, an older, uh, the relationship between an older woman and a, and a younger man. And that, and that like, is, mm. again, a fairly obvious point to make, I guess, given the, the nature of gendered, gender and power in, in society um, generally. But, you know, obviously, obviously worth stating anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's just interesting. And when you take, the, take that situation and there's an obvious gender, uh, I 100% agree with you there. Uh, but when you come back to a sort of gay gay perspective on this and you have a very similar thing, you get scandalous headlines, you know, talking about sick incest films, et cetera, mm, et cetera. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that shows a very clear homophobic undertone or not even a homophobic overtone or, you know, very overt homophobia in this sense. Uh, and, and one that is very clearly connected with this sort of concept of pedophilia, not concept, with pedophilia uh, and using, you know, and I think what these articles did, whether they did so with explicit intent or not, I suspect not in explicit intent, was they uh, very clearly worked to connect, the to, to sort of reinforce that idea that homosexuality and pedophilia are somehow inherently connected. And I think that the use of these... Um, sort of very common parts of gay culture. And I suspect in a good ch- there's a good chance that these writers didn't even realise that this was a very common parts of gay culture and were likely shocked and mm, had no idea. Yes. You know, that's why I thought the... Um, certainly how it reads. The, it's very much how it reads. And it's why I loved the caption about the, you know, pictured a wall of a cubicle which has a hole in it. 
Um, it's sort of just like... Yeah, sure. It just sort of read as like, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, do you? Because, you know, me, I, I see that and that's a glory hole and everybody, you know, everybody in gay culture knows what that is or I just think most people do. It was just very funnily phrased. It sort of highlighted a very clear lack of understanding of anything to do with gay culture. I mean, you know, it's also like, like these are, like the Daily, Daily Mail is, is like a very much, a, you know, a tabloid publication and, and yeah. I, I think we should potentially also... You know, not be willing to to um, uh, be wi- be willing to entertain the possibility that it's just extremely cynical and gross. Like, might yeah, not yeah, be, yeah. You know, I mean, who, you know, who knows? There's nice. no way of knowing that. But um, you know, like, I I wouldn't. I would be as as uh, unsurprised to learn that that this this is like you know deliberate kind of um, shit stirring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that the key, the key point is that whether it's deliberate or not, what this does is reinforce that notion that that homosexuality is inherently connected to pedophilia or to 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 se- child sexual abuse. Uh, and that's that's gross, and that's 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 overtly homophobic, um, and and sort of brings us back to you know we talked about in the introduction of sort of we hoped we were past these days, but we're clearly not. Uh, and I think that this is just one example of the, of, of this in in recent times that I can think of. Um, uh, that yeah. where this is you know where this is the case. And see, this is the thing. Like I I I actually think that pretty <laughs> like pretty much all major kind of public, I don't know, quote-unquote controversies involving queer people in the news of recent... Like, they are pretty much... This is maybe a, a very kind of broad statement to make, but I think they're pretty much all about pedophilia in some way or another, either implicitly or explicitly. I mean, the really obvious example that that is, you know, like, clearly about this is the, the, the growing debate about trans people using particular gendered bathrooms yeah, yeah. in the US. I mean that and that's been kind of raised very explicitly in relation to pedophilia and that like all of the pretty much all of the opposition to it is about, you know, uh trans women using women's bathrooms and and you know gross kind of conservative pundits saying like, you know, why are you letting men into um public bathrooms with little girls? Uh you know, mm. that like that's like that's so overt and so direct. But I yeah, think I remember even... seeing this cartoon. Sorry, I just remember seeing this no, cartoon no. once, and it's kind of a picture of a uh, like a disgusting um, uh, drawing of a, uh, a a person wearing women's clothing, but with like a beard and long hair, but with some makeup on. This sort of like awful. Uh, awful description of a trans person, uh, depiction of a trans person standing at a urinal peeing, and then there's a girl running away screaming, like a young girl running away screaming, and it was kind of like, you know, what what are you, you know, you know, and, and then the, the caption was this person was saying something like, oh, why do you hate, um, why do you hate equal rights or something like that? I can't remember exactly. Yeah, yeah, this, I know the exactly the, about, the, yeah. the depiction, the exact, exactly what the depiction that you're, the, the, what you're talking about, you know, the portrayal of people using bathrooms as being inherently dangerous to children um, in particular as a, as a threat. I think there's also an interesting connection um, between that and the sort of a threat to women, this sort of sudden care about, um, dim, um, you know, violence against women that only people only care about when it comes to attacking trans people for some reason. But I think that those, you know, that inherent threat to children is definitely a, a strong core of that, of that debate. I mean, and to be honest, I, you know, I think where my thinking has kind of gone in relation to... Like the reason I would make such a broad statement like the like this is thinking about marriage equality. Like to be honest, mm. I think like a lot of and you know you and I are, are you know known to be not big uh, marriage equality advocates, but um, the 
a lot of the opposition to marriage equality, I would argue, is couched in, like, pedophile panic as well. I mean, when you look at all the kind of responses from, um, you know, usually very conservative uh, Christian groups to marriage equality, it is virtually always about, like kids deserve a, a mother and father. It's always about mm. kids. It just, like, the, the issue every time gets brought back to, like, yeah, to, to being about the, the, the rights of children, which I think is really telling because it, it's not, you know, usually explicitly a part of narratives from queer communities in support of marriage equality at all. It's, like, just kind of brought in in, in what often feels like a really kind of ham-fisted way by these... Um, by these opponents of the uh, of marriage equality, um, and and I think that that's that's kind of indicative that it that it you know they they will turn anything into being about you know kids need to be protected. Yeah, and I think this is it's a kind of interesting evolution in some ways. I think you're 100 percent right. I hadn't connected that we were going to end up talking about marriage equality in this podcast, but um, I think you're 100 percent right in that the what we're talking about is an extension of something that that connects queerness as being dangerous to children and all forms of queerness as being dangerous to children in some way, yes. shape or another. And I think... And, and you're right in that if you think about it, all the big debates Safe recently, schools, safe schools. Safe is schools is exactly a, the same. Is, an exa- yep. is a great example of it. And, and it's all safe about schools kids. Is, and, you know, and that's something that's not, you know, I've got, um, got a colleague who's doing some research into this. It's not actually just something that's occurring in Australia, but that kind of debate around school education is really common um, all around the world at the moment, um, you know, and you know, and then that goes into broader things about things like sex education um, as being a really, you know, as a, as safe schools is not really about sex education in many ways, but you know, something that uh, sex education is often framed in when we talk about sort of in, being having more inclusive sex education, it's framed in being dangerous to children, exactly, mm. exactly mm. like this. You know, it's an interesting evolution in which. Um, I think conservative groups have got a narrower focus of how they want to. They have to target their opposition in many ways, um, as sort of support for a lot of these uh, policies has sort of expanded in places like Australia. It's much easier, you know. It sort of narrows down, and and you see this increasingly a target on children, um, a focus on children as being the people who are under threat of the sort of gay agenda, um, and it even connects, I think, to a lot of stuff around the idea, um, and this is something that you hear quite often, of sort of the, the gay agenda being about recruiting children to the homosexual sure, agenda, sure. Um, which I always think is hilarious um, because I think, you know, recruiting more people to be gay sounds great, um, you know, in a legal way, uh, obviously. Um, but, you know, I'm a, big <laughs> I'm a big fan of the idea of more people being gay and I sort of will be quite happy to, to defend that position. Um, but it's, it really comes down to this sort of threat that has existed for, you know, this, this idea of this threat that has existed for a long time, that if, if there's, there's more discussion about this, in, you know, this sexu- you know this, about homosexuality in a, in a community, if we allow these things to occur, more and more people will become gay and that's just a terrible outcome. Um, sort of a, a fear of people losing their own heterosexuality somehow. And, you know, and one that, you know, I, in some ways, I guess, is founded. If you look at recent statistics, it suggests that more people, young people, are not identifying as completely straight or not or saying they're not completely straight, which is, yeah, I think, yeah, a great outcome. Sure. But anyway, I think it's really, there is, a, there is an embedded fear there that what's happening, that what will happen is that 
uh, you won't have this, uh, that more and more people will be queer in some way and that, that people are terrified of that. You know, and, and sort of couching therefore everything in you know in this idea of the very of the idea of queerness being an inherent threat to children. Yes, well, you know, like the queer is sort of the um, the ultimate social other. You know, the kind of threat to, yeah, yeah. to social cohesion. I think it would be um, not that I th- think you were suggesting this, but I, I I think it would be a mistake to imply that this stuff is simply coming from these conservative. Christian groups that they're pulling out of thin air. I mean, I think that they're tapping into an undercurrent that exists in society anyway. Mm. You know, this kind of that we have these deeply, deeply held anxieties about our relationship to family, the kind of the the role of family in in society, and and you know, like a, th- a threat to children is like is a kind of a threat to the fundamental moral fabric of society. Um, yeah, so yeah. so it's kind of positioning the queer as like the 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 ultimate the ultimate threat yeah and i think that there's actually a really interesting and long history that we could go into about this that maybe maybe we don't have time for today sure but sure. um but you know i think it, i think this is not just something that's new i sort of maybe said this is becoming i think i said before that this is sort of a new narrowed down focus but as i think about it more i disagree with myself on that i actually think this is a core part of sort of anti-queer ideas that have existed for, for quite a long time that it's the idea that there's an inherent threat that queers present this inherent threat um to families in particular um and therefore to sort of a lot of the major structures of society um and this sort of gets channeled through children in many ways and that's probably where a lot of this sort of this very idea that homosexuality is inherently connected to pedophilia comes from and it's and it's a great it's a great great is not the right word it's an awful tactic that can be used as a way to to sort of increase the threat that queers pose to our society they're coming after our children you know that is what they're doing uh and that's just awful it's just an, you know it's it's naturally awful but it's it it sort of taps into this sort of deeper historical trend of a fear about the threat that queers pose to our society okay so let's maybe move on from that a little bit uh Maybe, Ben, let's go back to some of our original discussion. What role do you think queer culture plays here? Like, for example, do our communities have different ideas about age and sex that are not understood by people outside those communities? You know, at this sense, maybe thinking about, you know, we talked about the incest fantasies in gay porn as well as age gaps and same-sex relationships, etc. Is there something that's different about queer communities compared to non-queer communities when thinking about these issues? I think there's certainly, I mean, this is a, uh, this is a tricky one to talk about, and I'm going to be a bit careful here. I I think certainly there is. I think it would be silly not to acknowledge that, that that there are differences, certainly in the way that we think about this stuff, and that is something we've discussed around. Even those sort of incest fantasies in gay porn is a kind of good example, and all those daddy ideas. I think to me indicate a level of comfort with ideas relating to age gaps that would be seen as very uncomfortable things to discuss in most parts of society. And I, I would certainly never make a claim as to whether or not I think whether or not I think that's a I mean I think it I think it's probably a good thing to be able to talk about this stuff in a way that is not as panicked as it is in mm, in um mm. for example the the articles that we were discussing before we talked a while back when we first talked about doing an episode on this topic. It was because this was actually sent to me by a friend who was 
let me just uh, let me just find it. A friend who was kind of interested in in our our thoughts on this was a, a post by uh, a writer named uh, Sarah Schulman who was commenting on the. So she was posting on the controversy around Milo Yiannopoulos. Is that is that how I, I don't My, know Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Milo Yiannopoulos, who, uh, if if our listeners remember, uh, right wing um, commentator getting very big in the United States, and then a clip came out in which uh, he said last year he said um, that age of consent was in quotes not a, not this black and white thing. And that, again, in quotes, relationships um, between younger boys and older men can be hugely positive experiences. And this is in this context. And then he, he said that, and it was huge controversy. He got, uh, he lost a book contract. He got um, sacked from Breitbart News. Oh, he didn't, sorry, he didn't get sacked. He resigned from Breitbart News. It sort of basically, at least in the short term, ended his career, um, this video. Um, and so Sarah was writing a, a sort of post in response to that. So I've got, I've got it in front of me now. And she, she talks in this post about how in the past up until she says relatively recently it has been normal for gay men I'm actually I'm just going to quote from it that's probably that's probably better uh, it was normal for gay men to openly include their teenage sex with older guys as a reported regular and positive part of the coming out experience there was no stigma around discussion, discussing these experiences and they figure prominently in the works of writers like Edmund White and John Preston. And then she kind of goes on, so that's the end of the quote, and then she goes on to talk about how that's sort of changed and, and become more pan- associated with panic and, and about ties in respectability politics and, and that sort of thing. And I think certainly... I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't take as strong a moral position as she does in this post, and, and we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes because it's worth reading in full, but, mm. like, I, I certainly couldn't deny that that's, uh, that has been a part of even, even the quite uh, modern history of uh, gay, of same-sex male relationships. It, it certainly features, as she said, in a lot of, uh, literature about this stuff and you know even like I you know I can even think of like I know a lot of gay men who who became sexually active uh, very very young I think what would be considered very young in um, you know as as kind of certainly before the age of legal age of consent uh, like in their in their teens and for whom and I've certainly heard these men talk about those experiences you know not in kind of universally condemning and, and negative ways. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not quite sure Yeah, I'm not quite sure what to what to I make think, of that. Yeah, I think I mean this this is the difficult part of this this topic and it's something that I'm still thinking about quite a lot. I think firstly it's important to note that and again we'll post this in the show notes, that Shulman is talking about she starts off by talking about a novel that she wrote. Um, about a romantic relationship between a 15-year-old and a 40-year-old. Um, and and this connects back to with the Milo stuff and where a lot of what Milo spoke about was stuff that was around um, teenagers, sort of... We're not talking about, like, seven- yeah, and eight-year-olds here. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's an important dis- yes, distinction to yes. make, just, just a bit clearly. I think where Milo got in a lot of trouble in that instance was him talking about... He, he spoke actively about how he um, was 
you know, he had relationships as uh, he had relationships with older men. Um, I think he said one who was a priest and one and one other older man. Which sort of in his apology, he said that he he said something like which which I now see were abusive relationships. But in these initial videos, he talks about these being hugely positive experiences for him, and he talks about the importance that these relationships often played for men, for young, for teenagers, for teenagers of the fifteen-year-old sort of. Uh, you know, 14, 15 year old sort of age group that Shulman, that Sarah's talking about, you know, that sort of age group, you know, who, who were rejected by the rest of their family and sort of created relationships with these men, um, sometimes sexual, sometimes not, as a, as a, a sort of an entry into the community, um, as well as sort of having a, a, someone who's, who can support them and all that kind of stuff. And I agree, I, I'm not sure what to make of it. It was really interesting reading the comments on Sarah's post a lot of really interesting stuff there i think i think where i definitely do stand is i agree with you 100 it's that the panic the moral panic that exists around um pedophilia all these sorts of relationships being able to step back from that would be a really i think a valuable thing for society as a whole and it's sort of sad that the ability to have those conversations within gay male communities in particular has been lost to some extent in a, in a sense of a whole range of different ways but i think that our, our conversation around pedophilia is so panicked these days that anybody who has these sorts of relationships or feelings um, has the potential to be isolated so quickly that it actually has a potential, and I think there's good research to back this up, has a good potential to actually lead people to engage in abusive behaviours, to be more likely to engage in abusive behaviours than we um, they currently do. I mean, and look, and from a a basic sort of, like harm reduction framework like we're talking talking about any sort of behaviors that are deemed harmful by society i mean we we you know we know around things like uh things like substance use um you know for example that that the the more i guess fraught and panicked that the nature of the discussion around these things that the the increase in associated harms you know to all sorts of people involved like around that practice and you know i i um i can't help but get the sense from for example the, the kind of um yeah i really don't have a better word than panic the the panicked coverage that we that we were looking at in the the daily mail before around the ben mccormick cormac stuff but that that is representative of a culture that probably is not conducive to reducing harms associated with Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that I'd like to say about this particular question as well is, you know, what was really interesting about the Milo stuff was him talking about the what he considered the the positive, you know, the positives that came from the relationships he had when he was a teenager and the the things that they did for him and and also I guess uh, him talking very clearly about how he never saw himself as a victim and that was in, in ways that was ways that he sort of dealt with it either dealt with it or just sort of the way that he was in this instance i think he sort of got punished for not automatically attacking his his abusers in that sense uh, and i think that that's it's, it's again it's a complex thing in relationship to in relation to dealing with the idea with this idea because you could, you know, one could easily say that anybody who's under who's underage is inherently sort of inherently a victim in some way, shape, or form. Um, but there's sort of a removal of agency, almost um, not necessarily agency in terms of 
the relationships itself, but in removal of agency and people in terms of how people can deal with those sorts of incidences yeah. or those sorts of those sorts of relationships. And in, in that people's I think ability, is quite dangerous. In, just in people's ability to to construct their own narrative, I think, and tell their mm. own story about about their experiences. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's particularly telling. I mean, it's also just broadly really. Given who Milo Yiannopoulos is, you know, he's this, like, total um, inflammatory asshole, really, you know, and, and has been employed frequently for his ability to shock. Uh, mm. it, it, you know, it, it's it's obviously particularly telling that he says, like, that this one thing is beyond the pale, you know, yeah. that he, yeah. he has said so his... many fucking horrible things. Um, but this is the this is the thing that was too far. The thing where he talks about his his a sexual a sexual relationship that he had when he was fifteen, I think, um, is the one thing that goes beyond the pale. I think that is telling. Maybe just to to finish off, I wonder, Ben, if you think there's any ways that we can tackle this issue this issue and, and talking specifically about the association between homosexuality and pedophilia a bit more constructively, um, without feeding the sort of moral panic that you know that that exists around it yeah it's it's <laughs> it's really hard um i mean I, I would also just first briefly make the point that like i think we we may have um i can't uh you know think of every instance right now but we may have been talking even though a lot of the examples we've been talking about in this episode we're talking specifically about gay man i i do think that these these discourses apply in a lot of ways, to queer people generally, there are a lot of uh, tropes about predatory older women in in lesbian communities, um, mm. and and in terms of how how lesbians are perceived. You know, we we touch a bit on on um, on trans women that that's that is obviously there too. So I so I think it it does kind of although a lot of these examples are talking about gay men, I I do think that this is an association that goes more broadly than that for for a yeah. lot of queer. And I think people. it's becoming particularly prevalent in regards to discussions about anything to do with um, trans people in particular. I think that this is a, a real form of attack against trans people at this point of time that is that is being used all over the world. Um, uh, and, you know, we talked a bit that about that with the bathroom stuff, but I think we saw it a little bit in the safe school stuff as well. And, you know, that kind of, um, that sort of attack is, is really common. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to, to go back to the question, like it, it, it is... Honestly, really difficult to imagine what that sort of constructive engagement would look like. I mean, I think, like, obviously, you and I have a podcast that that's a pretty kind of niche thing, and it is really a space for us <laughs> to try to have these these more um, complex discussions. And so, you know, hopefully, this sort of thing can can play a role in that as 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 small as as small as that might be. But it's so, like, it's just, it's hard to think of a more, you know, a, a, a more, like, a, an issue that gets people riled up, really, any any more than this, like, any other issue. I, I would like to think that there is still space within gay communities to at least talk around some of these issues mm-hmm. as, as we continue to do. I do fear... It's funny, you know. I've I've worked in in queer organisations uh, for for a lot of my kind of adult life, and and in in almost you know in each of these organisations that I've worked in, at some point the conversation has come up of like what the hell do we do if and potentially when a, a mainstream media publication like the Daily Mail or, or like the Australian or or you know whatever kind of like right wing publication finds out. All of the things about 
gay sexual subcultures that exist now that would just read as like you know you could put fucking anything that happens like at the Laird in Melbourne on the front page of the Australian and people would be shocked and horrified and and like you wouldn't even have to be that sensationalist about it I mean they would be but <laughs> like you know the reality is that there is just this massive fucking gap between what is common and what is normal within a lot of gay subcultures and what exists outside of that and so whilst I would hope that at least within our communities, we can maybe have these conversations a little, like, slightly more openly than in the mainstream. There is a kind of, like, I, I suspect that this, the kind of panic that we're talking about is is maybe going to get worse um, as, you know, queerness is more, you know, quote-unquote normalised, is, is, is talked about more in the mainstream. You know, I, I wonder whether more things will, you know come to the attention of the mainstream that just, like, mm. are more kind of sources of, of panic. I hope not, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the real threat is that that more sources of panic uh, result in more people thinking that we need to stop those practices. And I'm not talking about pedophilia here, but in terms of other forms of queer sexual practices that exist uh, that... Um, you know, that the outcome will be that, you know, what comes out, uh, you know, what, what happens at the, the lead or the, the, the gay sex, the gay sex sauna or something comes out and then the sort of the knee jerk reaction is to say, well, we need to stop engaging in that because it sort of, um, affects our, our political agenda over here, or, you know, we need to be normal like everybody else. And I think that's a real threat. Um, I think that, I don't know what the answer to this question is either about how we deal with this. I think that the first starting point is to have, to try and have these honest conversations, mm, to try yeah. and do so in a non-panicked way. Um, I was listening to, I'm going to be that, that wanker who says, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I guess we're, we're making... <laughs> we're making a podcast. Simon. We're making a podcast, that's so okay. Um, I was listening to this podcast called um, The Modern Man, which is um, by this guy called Ollie Man, who does another podcast podcast in the UK called Answer Me This, which I love. Uh, anyway, um, he had a segment on this podcast about um, pedophilia uh, and had a researcher in talking about uh, sort of a harm reduction approach to pedophilia, in particular talking about working with people who identified as pedophiles or said that they had pedophilic thoughts um, but had not acted on them and didn't want to act on them and sort of trying to create community uh, around those people so they could support each other and make sure that they don't act on these thoughts and don't, don't abuse children. And what was interesting is that she said that she believed that sort of discourse around pedophilia had actually gotten better uh, in the last 10 years, um, at least that there are some spaces where there is these conversations that are happening. I think that's definitely true to an extent that there are some spaces where these conversations are happening where harm reduction conversations are occurring, and I think that that's really valuable and I think that's needed. I think that, uh, as we talked about before, the sort of panic around this does absolutely nothing to reduce harm, um, potentially makes it worse. But having been able to have the space to have these open conversations, to have these conversations without sort of immediately labelling someone who has a conversation as a pedophile and therefore as the devil is the is, is an important first step. I think you're probably right that we can do this in queer communities better, but then at the same time I see so much panic within queer communities yes. 
both as a pan, you know, sort of a, um, the same sort of reactions that you get from the Daily Mail from some, but also just as I guess fear about what this will say, how this will be reflected upon the community if we have there have these conversations, or yeah, totally. You know, I mean, when a story like Ben McCormack comes out, um, you know, this sort of fear that oh, you know, now everybody's going to think that we're all pedophiles again. Totally, so and we've, we've you know, we've hardly even talked about respectability politics today, but but that's yeah, like obviously plays hugely into the ways that that queer communities can react to this stuff yeah absolutely and i think that that's that's a difficult conversation to have within queer communities about how we deal with these sorts of attacks um and not dealing with them by sort of shutting down and and shutting out any discussion or sort of being reactionary in the way we deal with them well you know we've tied ourselves in knots and and uh (laughs) as usual not really come to any firm conclusions but we we might leave it there yeah i think it's a good place to leave it thanks for bearing with us through that conversation it was a, a a tricky one but you know i think hopefully it was kind of interesting at least thank you uh again for for listening and we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks time um and as always in the meantime you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on itunes and as we said at the start please leave a review and rating which will help other people find us obviously those reviews and ratings are going to be fantastic after our pedophilia episode um, so we look, we look forward to that. Uh, you can also, uh, as we said at the start, email us on uh, queerspodcast at gmail.com. Please do. Uh, and you can, for a more immediate response, find us on Twitter. I am at Ben C. Riley. And I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland and also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. We will see you next time. Looking forward to it. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.